G'day and welcome. This is the Age Stage on RPPFM, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians. It is made possible by our friends at Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. We're coming to you from the Bendigo Bank Studios. Welcome everyone. I am Brendan Telford. Good to have your company. Well, what have we got this week on the program? We're going to assess the parties and their policies, particularly for older Australians, ahead of this month's federal election. What's in it for us oldies? And it's National Heart Week, a reminder for all of us to do something about our heart health. And that's going to be with our resident medico, Damien Flynn, going to be dropping by in just a moment. Heart Foundation, by the way, telling us that 76,000 76,000 heart attacks, strokes and deaths from heart disease can be prevented nationally if we have a heart health check. Damien really going to be uh, jumping on that one, I'm sure. And emotional labour, a rare skill that sociologists tell us our aged care professionals need to tap into to deliver top care. We'll be testing out that theory with our regular visitor, Warren Haynes, from Aftercare Australasia in just a moment. But first up... The federal election and what's in it for older Australians. And I'm sure if you've been following the news cycle, you will uh, no doubt be aware that the general election is just days away. And over the past couple of weeks, well, we've heard details about Labor's policy for older Australians and its impact on Australian older Australians. Indeed, the uh, levy on franking credits and that impact on the self-funded retirees. They certainly weren't very happy about that one. But then, and more recently, Labor's $2.4 billion dental health care plan for older Australians. But also a refusal to better pay those in the aged care industry. So time then to tap into the views and the observations of our regular guest, Paul Verstige, policy manager for the politically neutral, and I underline that fact, politically neutral Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. Paul Verstige on the line from Sydney. Paul, how are you seeing the headlines ahead of the election? At first it seemed uh, as though older Australians weren't counting for much in this election. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, Labor's... Uh, Announcement on, on on franking credits and dividend imputation would su- suggest that that that, that yeah that, that they weren't much on the radar. But uh, I, I think that, that there are two announcements now that um, <clears throat> that older Australians would be particularly pleased about. The, the first one being the extension of or the creation of uh, an extension to the public dentistry program, but also the initiative on um, on cancer treatment and making sure that, that people can access access Medicare items. So let's just be, um, let's, let's analyse that in the first instance then. Obviously, franking fears were certainly signalled by the Liberals as a, a concern given Labor's policies there. And there were a number of retirees that were jumping up and down saying that they were going to be disadvantaged severely, especially those with self-managed funds. Then, rather cynically, some would argue, um, Bill Shorten then jumped up and down and introduced this um, very, very generous $2.4 billion dental cover system. Uh, do you think he's made up the ground on that? Not sure that he's trying to make up any ground. I think uh, he's, he's lost the people that uh, are going to be directly affected by his franking credit policy. Uh, I, I don't think anything can, can make up for that. And, and also... Most of the people affected by the franking credit policy would not benefit from the dental announcement because they are not pensioners, um, and many of them would not even hold a Commonwealth Seniors Health Card, which also um, <clears throat> make you eligible for a dental program. So I think that those two things have to be seen as, uh, 
credit story is going to continue to uh, influence the vote of, um, of people that, that are affected by it. And perhaps, um, you know, pensioners have been doing a tough dental wise uh, will appreciate that this policy on the face of it is going to make a big difference. Well, it's a massive difference. $2.4 billion, uh, $1,000 rebates to pensioners every two years. As a group, uh, this group of pensioners doing a little bit tougher, are they uh, allowed and are they going to be a factoring voice in the outcome of the election, do you think, Paul? Well, it's it's a big group. You know, we've got about 3 million retired people and, you know, the, the, the vast majority of them are on the age pension, either a full pension or a part rate pension. So nobody can discount the, the importance of the older vote. The, the dental announcement is, is, is a bit confused, I have to say. It's uh, obviously people already are eligible for public dentistry, but many or most have found out that public dentistry is very hard to access. It takes a long time before it's actually your turn. And once that turn happens, your, your dental situation probably deteriorated to the point where, you, where you're looking at extractions rather than, than uh, restorative work. Indeed. Um, so therefore, obviously, it, it's, it's certainly going to be a fill-up, though, for those that are doing a little bit tough, as I said, $2.4 billion, $1,000 rebates every two years for those of uh, that are eligible for it. Also, the other interesting thing was, and it certainly grew, uh, it certainly got a little bit of attention uh, during the last week or so, is this notion that um, Labor announces a massive increase, a 20% increase, in fact, for those involved in the childcare industry, but no such consideration for those that are involved in aged care and indeed Shorten suggesting that he's going to kick that into touch until the Royal Commission makes its announcement in about a year from now in fact in April what is it 30th of April 2020 yeah it's, it's a it's a very strange announcement by um, by Labour to um, single out the, the child care workers who I have no doubt are, um, are deserving of a significant pay rise but so are many other groups in the in, in the community and uh, and aged care workers, obviously, they work arguably a tougher job than childcare workers. They have to deal with, with very complex situations, people who have dementia and have all sorts of medical conditions. It's, it's, and they have to do it on a, on a, on a minimum wage. It, it's something that, that needs urgent attention as well. And it's a bit facile for, for Labor to say that um, this can wait until the, the Royal Commission hands down its, its final report, which will be uh, sometime in... 2021, I think. Indeed. So it makes me think again a little somewhat cynically. I mean, is this basically pandering to a more vocal, larger group that is going to be able to translate uh, this generosity into votes in two weeks' time? Well, obviously, uh, electioneering is always a cynical business. And um, perhaps the answer to your question is simply yes. The announcements that are made are structured to attract certain groups of, of voters. Um, you know, I, I, I go back to the dental policy. It extends public dentistry, but it actually does not extend that to people who are unemployed, but it does extend it to people who have a, uh, a Commonwealth Seniors Health Card, which means that they have too, 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 too much money to, to qualify for the pension. So there's a, there's a little bit of a, well, a little bit, but there's a big, big leap of logic required to find that acceptable. 
Paul Verstees, thank you very much indeed. Hold that thought for a moment, Paul, because we've got to take a little bit of a break. Just a reminder that you tuned up to RPPFM's The Age Stage, our weekly look at issues affecting older Australians, made possible by our friends at Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. We'll be back in just a moment, have a chat to Paul about the coalition, the government. What are they doing in this particular sector ahead of the general election? More in just a moment. Hi, this is Sigrid Thornton speaking. I love listening to the radio. And when I'm on the peninsula, I love listening to RPP FM. The Peninsula Grange Retirement Community and Australian Unity extend you an invitation to view our beautiful appointed lifestyle apartments in glorious Mornington. Our apartments come with the finest amenities and the very best in lifestyle choices. Opening early 2019, our architecturally designed apartments are selling fast. Take the next step in your retirement journey and join us. Contact us today by searching Peninsula Grange Community a station sponsor looking for in-home care try aftercare where in-home personal care is helping people all over the southeast of melbourne maintain their independence while still living in the luxury of their own home if you're currently receiving services that aren't tailored to your individual needs talk to aftercare we guarantee satisfaction so let our family help your family call aftercare now 1300464663 or head to after-care.com.au a station sponsor each year Balura House and Garden in Mornington hosts a series of performances by the talented young pianists of the Australian National Academy of Music from the South Melbourne Town Hall we would like to invite those of you who enjoy fine music to join us for one of our delightful performances in the Talis Pavilion of Balura House Each performance is followed by a sumptuous afternoon tea. For more information on becoming part of this experience, telephone us or check the Belura website on the internet. RPPFM across the Mornington Peninsula. We're speaking to Paul Verstige at the moment, who is the policy coordinator of the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. We're talking to Paul about the upcoming election and the impact that older Australians are going to have, maybe on some policy outcomes, some promises. Uh, we've gone already, of course, Paul, talking about uh, Bill Short and the Labor Party and some of their pronouncements in terms of franking credits, also this new dental care plan as well. What about our friends in the coalition government themselves? Mr Morrison at this stage, been a little bit quiet. Would you be expecting more from them? Well, the, um, the, the coalition, the, the, the current government, is, is really concentrating on pointing out that any measures that, that are taken uh, cost a lot of money and will probably lead to tax increases. As a result, of course, they, they can't really make big announcements themselves um, because uh, if, if it costs money then, and the taxes go up, then, then there goes their campaign. So they, that campaign seems to be resting on uh, inaction on status quo and uh, there is not much to, to entice anybody really to, to that campaign. And uh, I'm struggling to find anything that is particularly interesting to um, to older Australians. So I'm also wondering myself why older Australians, again, aren't organising themselves into a pressure group. Why can't they exert some more leverage at this particular time in, in the political cycle? Well, obviously, uh, I have to disagree with you, Brendan. We are a pressure group and uh, we feel we, we have... Put uh, positions forward that, uh, and at least one of them has been adopted. That the uh, the dental announcement, of course, by the Labor opposition. There are uh, plenty of groups out there who who, who are pushing issues of importance to to older Australians. Uh, there is uh, 
in, um, indeed, and, and, and we see you quoted uh, all over the, um, particularly Sydney Press at the moment as well, Paul. I'm, I'm not trying to denigrate the work that you're doing, but I'm just wondering as a national, as a national body, there's so many uh, retirees, why we aren't seeing more of them sort of jumping up and down and supporting the work you do. Or we saw Ian Yates jumping up and down the other day for the Council for Ageing. But I'm just wondering, as a pressure group, as a peer group, I mean, we see the uh, Labor government uh, wanting to look after um, childcare workers. Why isn't there pressure to, to do something about aged care workers, as we were saying before the break, instead of waiting for the deliberations of a Royal Commission, for instance? Well, I'm, I'm sure the, the unions are active. There is an initiative going on at the moment, but uh, the, the problem with that is that it's, it tends to be very secretive. Uh, there was something called the uh, the aged care workforce strategy, which was published uh, late last year, and that um, that strategy is being looked at by a committee. That committee, though, and and the the unions are on that committee. And the committee has actually said that the chair of the committee we should have uh, staff to resident ratios in um, in aged care. It is also a position of that uh, of that committee that wages should go up for aged care workers. I think this is very much behind the scenes initiative, and you know stuff is is happening. It would be good if uh, if we knew a little bit more of what was happening. Well, we'll be uh, tapping into that in a in a moment on the program as well because we've got Warren Haynes coming in from Aftercare Australasia, and I'd be interested to get his point of view on uh, this particular area of uh, workers in the aged care sector. But uh, before we let you go, Paul, one other um, announcement, of course. Cancer treatment, what's going on there? Well, Labour has made a big announcement uh, virtually saying that if you need cancer treatment, you will get it and you you won't be out of pocket. Whether that is going to be completely implemented is is yet to be seen. Uh, But it is not unlike the uh, the dental announcement, a a big plan. And uh, perhaps at at this stage all we we, we can expect, you know, the detail comes later. So cancer, the cancer announcement is particularly good for older Australians because cancer, even though you can get it at any age, it is typically a disease that that strikes older people. So it's a very important announcement. Is it something that you've been pushing? No, we had not uh, concentrated on, on cancer at all, I have, to, uh, I have to admit. It did not come up as an issue amongst our members and you know, we take our cue uh, <clears throat> from our members. So then, just canvassing your members, are they happy with the outcomes that they're seeing in the policy proposals that they're seeing at the moment? The dental announcement, certainly. Uh, the cancer announcement was also well received amongst our members. But we also did a little survey uh, recently, and we asked our members how adequate they thought we were as advocates. The responses were mainly positive. There were a certain section of the um, of the membership uh, felt that we had failed because the pension hadn't gone up. So that, that is really something that uh, we're going to concentrate on in, in the future uh, to make sure that pensions keep up to date with the requirements of, of living standards of today. You couldn't put some pressure on this last 10 days of campaigning? Yes, well, we have. Our, our view is that, um, you know, we should, uh, we should do away with the six-monthly indexations of Social Security payments and we should set the social security payments with reference to the real cost of living and what we want to achieve there. And this is why we supported um, in the previous parliament or parliament that is now being prorogued, we supported the idea of a social security commission that, that uh, made it to the bill stage um, and we want to see that return and certainly that's what we're pushing for. 
Paul Vestige, Policy Coordinator with the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. Paul, thank you very much indeed. Um, and if anything breaks in the next week or so before the general election, um, rest assured we'll be tapping you once again for your useful insights and uh, contribution to the program. We thank you very much indeed, Paul. Thank you. Paul Vestige, who is the Policy Manager from the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. Thank you very much indeed, Paul. And I tell you what, if we do see anything in the next uh, week or so ahead of that uh, general election, we'll get you back on the line again. Thank you very much indeed for your time today. A reminder that you tuned up to RPPFM 98.7, 98.3, your local radio station, broadcasting from our studios right here in Wilson's Road, coming to you live from the Bendigo Bank Studio this Thursday morning, made possible by our friends at Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. When we come back, we will be speaking with Warren Haynes. We're going to be speaking to Warren this week about uh, well, what the sociologists are calling emotional labour, a rare skill, little defined, but very, very important when it comes to the delivery of aged care. Find out more in just a moment. And it is uh, Thursday morning, always great to have your company right here on RPPFM, coming to you from the Bendigo Bank Studio. It is the age stage this Thursday morning, and as we do every other week, it's great to welcome Warren Haynes along from Aftercare Australasia. Warren, welcome back. G'day, Brendan. Um, as we've heard already from Paul Vestige, it's been a big week, and I want to touch on a couple of those issues as well with you in just a moment, get mm. your take on um, Mr Shorten, workforce, looking after childcare, mm. maybe the age care sector just being a little bit ignored in all this. We'll get to that in just a moment, as we did with Paul earlier on. But there's a there's a, a topic that I wanted to touch on with you, and um, it resonated with me. I was just doing a little bit of reading um, at the weekend, and I came across this term, emotional labour. And it's a new so- so- sociological term, which is describing people in the workforce that are showing particular ability in terms of empathy and care to provide a professional service. A number of sectors within the workforce have been identified in this emotional labour sector, and one of them was sort of nursing and aged care. Mm. And I'm just wondering whether you at Aftercare Australasia are sort of conscious, either formally or subconsciously, about the type of workers that you need to dedicate themselves into this area. As we've heard already, maybe it's not remunerated quite as well as other parts of the workforce. Mm. But is it attracting a certain sort of person that can give, can understand and be there to provide a professional service? Yeah, look, Brendan, I, I, I think you raise a really good point there. It's, it's one of the things that I suppose we would like to think... Um, makes makes our business stand out compared to some others in the industry. But, but that said, you know, there are certainly a number of other companies that have a similar approach, which is really about when we're recruiting people, we're looking at the person and we're not just looking at do they have, you know, a checklist of skills or training. Now, I'm not saying that's not important as well. That is important. You, you need that sort of base. But one of the things we've noticed many, many, many years ago was that the calibre of um, trainees that were coming through, they often, you know, they ticked a number of boxes, but when you had them in an interview situation face-to-face, they didn't have the interpersonal skills, they didn't have the communication skills, um, 
that that are an essential part of actually carrying out this caring role. It, it's one of the reasons why we refer to our workers as being carers. So a lot of other companies, you know, they get called PCAs and they get called, you know, workers and, uh, you know, various other um, terms which we don't think really describe the the nub of you know what's at the heart of that role and what's at the heart of it is that it's all about caring for people so if you don't have that that caring attitude and that ability to connect with people emotionally and be um, tuned in to where the person's at a lot of it's a lot of that is fundamental skills it's about um, observation and being able to really be a bit of a student of uh, observing other people and then responding to to what you're what you're seeing and and what you're hearing from you know in terms of where that person's at and do they need a bit of cheering up today because they're not having a good day or do they need you to just be a little bit low key and quiet because they're a little bit down about something or are they full of beans today because they've you know they're excited and something positive's happening and they want you to join in with them that's that's really the key to successful long-term working relationships with people in any field, childcare, aged care, nursing. It's interesting, isn't it? I I guess the sociologists are trying to quantify it scientifically. It's probably something very difficult for them to do that. But nevertheless, you obviously have identified it. And this tuning in is something that uh, in this particular piece that I was reading was very, very important. Uh, Very difficult to find that. I I mean, how do you go about in the process (laughs) of interviewing for a Look, again, the way that we deal with that, which, which again, is a little bit different to the way some companies approach this, is we invest a lot of time and effort um, in, that, in that process of recruiting because it's not just about, as I said, you know, going through a checklist and ticking off, you know, does the person have this, does the person have that. You know, in terms of pieces of paper, it's about what is this person's personal attributes and how do we make sure that there's opportunities for us to see them demonstrate what their uh, personal qualities, their interpersonal skills are. So so because of that, we deliberately structure two interviews before we even make a decision about going ahead and doing reference checks and, and all the other sort of mandatory compliance type things, which are important too. But before we even bother looking at that, we want to meet with the person twice. They, they meet with um, two or three different representatives from our company. So again, we have a sort of a, a consensus approach. They have to be um, viewed by a number of different people in our organisation as being suitable for the company before we'll even look at it. it it's funny you brought this up because I was literally just talking to the, the, the main person, uh, Jenny, at our company who, who does the, the initial interviews and she was expressing to me how hard her job is at times because our, our rate of um, interviewing versus um, actual recruitment, it's about um, one to six ratio. So in other words, for every six people that we interview so we've already done our pre-screening etc they have to get to the point where we've even decided we're interviewing them but for every six people we interview we usually only end up employing about one 
It's incredible. Um, it, uh, and I guess the other real difficulty for you guys is not only that, so a person might be able to emote very nicely and be able to interact at a certain level, but they're also there to dispense professional care as well. And so once again, we have this sort of balance point uh, whereby, you know, you're emoting, you're tuned in, mm. but at the same time, you've got to come down hard sometimes and say, well, in my professional opinion, this is what we need to do here with you in this circumstance, getting that mm. balance. Right. Yeah. Look, and again, what we've done is we've we've adopted. I'd have to say fairly early in the piece um, a whole lot of approaches around that. So we've got a professional code of conduct, um, range of responsibility. It really outlines a lot of how they balance that range of responsibilities. So they have to balance uh, caring for the person with making sure that the person's being well looked after, making sure that if they're picking up any signs of um, potential sort of financial or emotional abuse, that they understand their reporting obligations on that. Um, and But also that they're not overstepping the boundary uh, by offering um, advice or opinions on topics that they're not qualified to offer advice and opinion on. Um, so it's a, it's a very fine balancing act. But we've... we've Developed this over, as I said, you know, many times we've been doing this for 20 years now. Um, we've had a lot of opportunity to refine these processes, and I think it's really um, one of the key things that our whole company is based on is the quality of our staff. It's essentially, that's what our company is. It's it's the staff that we deliver to provide the support. Well, it's the workplace, isn't it? Warren Haynes, mm-hmm. of course, from Aftercare Australasia, joins us every other week here on the Age Stage. And uh, just uh, putting in the important caveat as well that uh, is one of our very uh, dear sponsors. Um, but at the same time, we're obviously up to uh, talking to Warren about all sorts of issues. So obviously then recruitment is very, very important, this emotional labour term, mm. which I think mm. is um, mm. obviously very interesting. Um, so then let's put this in perspective. Um, you offer um, home care packages, and this is where you specialise. Mm. Um, interesting to see that as we were talking with Paul Vestige earlier on today, um, the shortened, would-be shortened government are going to be providing big numbers for childcare, but uh, the aged care sector seems to be overlooked again and everybody seems to be deferring to the Royal Commission still literally 12 months away before we see any deliberations. Yeah, look, it's... it's I suppose it's hard to comment, uh, you know, on what people say and do in election, um, election campaigns. It's... Uh, <laughs> People uh, often seem to make all kinds of outlandish promises and and I guess my sense is that perhaps uh, Mr Shorten's being reluctant to be drawn into over-promising at this point. Um, but nonetheless, at some stage or another, no matter which government uh, is formed in the near future, they're going to have to look at these workforce issues. Um, there's there's just an enormous amount of um, unmet demand that's building up. There's going to continue to be um, pressure on there being funding made available for the home care packages and for um, aged care places. But none of that's going to be of any benefit at all unless we've actually got a workforce that's going to be able to deliver those services. And I know you and I have discussed a few times about, you know, how many sort of wonderful advances in technology there are. But again, going back to your original point, when you're talking about this emotional load and and this, um, um, uh, what do they call it, emotional intelligence... Artificial intelligence has still, in my opinion, got a very, very, very long way to go before it's going to come close to being able to match the emotional intelligence that a skilled 
person can deliver to to uh, you know an older person in their home or in an aged care facility and so we're going to need major steps made around workforce development and the the biggest issue we have is that it's a low paid um, workforce you know there, there just isn't the money there to pay people really for the value of the work that they provide. It's a very skilled role. It is indeed. So how then, I, mean, I don't want to pry too much into your business or your operational procedures here, Warren, but I mean, how do you re- remunerate these people that are obviously displaying quite unique skills? We've already identified that. Uh, and keep them, keep them in the industry, keep them in the business and keep them satisfied. Brendan, our approach to to that is we've always made sure that we're consistently paying people above award. Um, but but our ability to do that is very much constrained by the funding that's available. Uh, but but that's that's one very clear thing that we can do. Another thing that that employers very much need to do when you're working with people who are bringing this emotional intelligence and these skills to the job. Uh, what we find is that that workforce in general is looking for acknowledgement and looking for that respect from us as their employer to to really um, highlight and reinforce what a great job that they're doing. And often that gets overlooked. People are very much taken for taken for granted. Um, you know, you're just a worker. You're just you know someone that you're moving around on a roster. And so we don't have that approach. It's why the people that do the rostering for us also actually provide professional supervision and support for all of our workers. So our uh, uh, you know workforce knows that whenever they're facing a challenging situation in their day to day roles they've got support at the end of the phone or they can pop into the office and have a bit of a debrief and have a bit of a talk through um, because there, there are a lot of challenges. Uh, I think mental health is um, you know pretty big on the radar at the moment. They're looking at the, the sort of um, loads that fall onto first responders, for instance, um, and there's been some look at um, workplace health and safety for nurses. But again, carers are no different to that. They're often put in positions where they can see that the people they're looking after are, you know, are starting to struggle a bit with getting their day-to-day needs met. They're getting quite stressed in that process. Their family often are getting stressed. And who do they turn to? They turn to the carer who's there, um, you know, offering that supportive listening ear and um, helping um, give people a little bit of advice and information about where they can get more support. But they then carry that load. Our workers carry that load. So we make sure that they've got um, good access to uh, really skilled, experienced people in our office team that they, when they're just speaking to them about their day-to-day, you know, what's happening next and what am I needing to do next, they've got opportunities to have a bit of a chat about that and get a professional second opinion about a circumstance that they might be facing. So that, that's how we address that. And, and I guess the other good thing as well about you guys is you're a small uh, family-operated, family-owned business down here on the Mornington Peninsula. I guess the camaraderie and the sense of belonging and well-being uh, is reinforced in that circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. So that, again, you're not dealing with a large large call centre and that applies to our uh, employees as much as it does to our families and clients. So they know who they're going to speak to when, when you know, they ring into the office. It's only a small team. It's a, it's a familiar voice. It's a familiar face. And, and our uh, coordinators get an opportunity to sort of build up a little bit of a picture as to 
where our uh, you know where our workers, where our carers are at at any given moment, and you know we can adjust their workload a little bit, and perhaps uh, you know lighten the load a little bit temporarily if they need that, and then sort of build it back up again when when things are you know when they're in a better space themselves. So we can be quite flexible with that. Um, and uh, we, we find that that's one of the reasons that we've got such incredibly good uh, staff retention rates. So that's, a, that's an issue in the industry and uh, it's something that we feel as though we've really kind of cracked the code on that one and we, we've got tremendously good retention rates. Lots of our staff have worked with us for five to ten years um, which is very unusual. What a fantastic boast to be able to make here, Warren, and hand on heart as well, and mean it totally sincerely. It's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, how do people get in touch with Aftercare Australasia then and meet your staff and meet you? Well, really, they can just, uh, these days, modern technology, they can just send us an email uh, or uh, they can even get in touch with us via Facebook and send us a message via Facebook uh, or just give us a call on one on 4663 and we'll be more than happy to talk to them about uh, how we can help. In-home care is your specialisation, Aftercare Australasia. Mm. Warren Haynes, as usual, thank you very much indeed. Very insightful. We appreciate your time and thanks once again for supporting us and The H Stage. My pleasure. This is The H Stage on RPPFM. Thursday morning it is. Hope you're doing okay. When we come back, we're going to be talking heart health with Damien Flemley. Yes, we've got to keep an eye on those old tickets. More in just a moment. We'll take a break. RPPFM across the Mornington Peninsula. And this, of course, is The H Stage. An important week this one as well because this week is National Heart Week. We've probably heard a lot about it. On the local media, certainly the medicos trying to emphasise just how important our hearts are and to tell us a little bit more about that and the message that's trying to be sold this particular week and ongoing is Damien Flenley, our resident medical expert here on the HH. Damien, welcome back. Uh, good morning, Brendan. Morning, listeners. Thanks for having me. Some extraordinary figures as uh, you came into the studio this morning. How many people are we losing to heart disease and heart attack on a daily basis? Uh, look, around 76,000 people are dying every year. That equates to about 51 people Lives lost every day with heart disease. Shocking. People you know, people you love, people you, you want to hang around, but unfortunately you don't get the chance. And you see, yes, I, I've been touched by this myself mm. and very mm. tragically only recently, and it's simply because a person was not looking at the basic indices which would have told him that he was in a little bit of trouble and all he needed to do was present to his local doctor and he probably would have had some sort of a bypass or an intervention, and he would be vertical for another 20 or 25 years. Look, you're talking basically about understanding your risk factors. Most people don't know that they are at risk of having heart disease or dying, and you don't know you've got heart problems until it's too late. A lot of people literally have those events, and they die. Out-of-hospital arrests have like a 95% chance of passing only five percent survive but it doesn't have to be like this this is exactly right so how do we guard against it well look we've been really pleasured in that the government has given us a lot of money nearly four million dollars this year uh to help start the conversation of a healthy heart check and the biggest campaign at the moment for the heart week this year is to identify those risk factors early in your lifestyle 
So you go down, you get your bloods, you just have a regular checkup with your doctor and you say, hey, doc, I'm 50 plus or whatever I am. Uh, he's going to automatically want to have a look at you and he's going to be listening to your heart anyway, surely, and he's going to be recommending bloods and all that sort of stuff. Well, as part of this campaign, they're partnering up with the Stroke Foundation because we do know that these risk factors are, com- are combined. And if they can reduce it by running through what's called a healthy heart check, it's a specific campaign, there's Medicare rebate, so it's bulk billed, it doesn't cost you any extra money. The healthy heart check is something that we get to run through those major risk factors. So I'd like to bring it to the attention of the audience. If you're over 45, under 75, um, you've got 20% of having a st- 20% risk of having a stroke or ischemic heart event in the next five years. It's just devastating. But you can do something about it. Uh, you can monitor your, uh, your age. You can obviously be aware of your blood pressure, aware of your numbers, as we call it. So your blood pressure, your cholesterol, and your waist circumference. So basically, aware, awareness of the number. So uh, you go and see your doctor, you get your bloods, he's going to give you a recommendation. You might be doing blood thinners, you might be taking your aspirins, for instance. Lots you of might be on your um, anti-cholesterols. Yeah. And he's probably going to say, well, listen, look, let's have a look at the waist. Probably going to suggest maybe a run around the block, walk the dog. Absolutely. And look at the amount of cholesterol that you're throwing down yourself on a weekly basis and do something about it with your beautiful walk each night. Well, look, it's, it seems like really basic science. We've said it on the station for years. If you do 20 minutes of walk every day, enough to crack a little sweat, it matches your capacity to exert yourself. If you can do that two, three times a week, you're going to lose a bit of weight. Interesting uh, social media post that I got the other day from an old buddy of mine, probably about my age as well, probably in the demographic that is probably at serious risk as far as Heart Foundation is concerned at the moment. Indeed. Sent me this rather harrowing little note suggesting that um, many of us are probably going to have an episode, a heart episode by ourselves. Suggested that what happens before you lose consciousness, if you think you are, Mm. you suck in some sharp breaths and then you cough very deeply from the base of your lungs because that's going to basically reset and rejump your heart and going to give you a chance just to stay conscious before you hit the ground and or get help. True or false? Look, it is actually true. We can actually stimulate a pulse rate by coughing severely, really strong coughing. We do do this in an emergency situation. However, if you can identify those risk factors early, we highly recommend you treat it before you get to that life-threatening environment. We know that those outcomes are extremely poor. So these days, intervention are in terms of being able to examine, make a successful diagnosis, and then basically a successful treatment program. You should be able to keep people vertical for a number of years these days, Damien. Well, look, heart disease is, is and it's not an infinite resource. It will live and last as long as you look after it. We use the analogy, if you had one car, you'd look after it your whole life. You're absolutely correct in that. Our surgical interventions are getting you know, quite... Uh, particularly great at helping but it doesn't dissolve the underlying genetic risk factors uh, the obesity risks that people carry and ongoing familial genetical uh, genetical problems that we've talked about here before and i guess the medicos really don't want to treat it like a panel beaters shop uh, they want to basically have your car come in and get it, if we're going to use that analogy, <laughs> on a regular sort of service basis so they can identify problems before they come particularly and manifestly difficult to treat later on. Like I said, to tie in with a heart week uh, analogy, it's just about getting active, uh, sitting less and being active with your family. If you can treat and be aware of your risk factors early in your life, you'll prevent those issues long in advance and live a long and healthy life. 
It sounds like some pretty good uh, recommendations, Damien. Oh, look, we always encourage it. You know, we talk about eating fish more times than meat. We talk about having more legumes. If you can replace two meals out of your regular week with some beans or some baked beans or some sort of legume-based fibre product, peas even, absolutely, um, you can reduce your risks. Avoid those processed meats. And I love a salami and the sausages that are out, but if you can avoid those, um, reducing your fat intake, reducing your salt, just having unsalted nuts in your diet as a snack and drinking plenty Plenty of water, less alcohol, less sugary drinks. You're going to live a long and healthy, prosperous life. It sounds fantastic. What beautiful advice. And that's <laughs> why we love having you in here, Damien, when you come in and visit us on the aid stage. Look, it's fantastic to have people do what they do best. Um, if they want a bit more information, I always like to pass them on to uh, healthfoundation.org.au. Um, and they've got a lovely little heart age calculator. If you want to do it with your family, your friends, your mum, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, uh, maybe even yourself, just to check in. But do go and see your doctor. It's a free rebated item. Go and get your healthy heart checked today. Very wise advice. Damien Flanley, always great uh, that you can drop by and join us here on The Age Stage. Thank you very much indeed, Damien. Good to see you today, and uh, I think we'll be taking that advice and getting down to our docs and checking out our heart health. As I said, that stat is just absolutely unbelievable. If we could get on top of our heart health, 76,000 heart incidents could be avoided nationally in Australia, and many of us could be staying vertical a lot longer please do go and check out your heart. It is National Heart Week. That is it for another edition of The Age Stage. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Can I thank Paul Verstige uh, for joining us earlier on in the program, telling us all about uh, the electoral policies of the big parties ahead of the upcoming federal election. Paul, of course, is the policy manager for the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. Damien Flenley, our resident medico. Damien, thank you very much indeed. And, of course, Swan Haynes from Aftercare Australasia. Thanks also to our sponsors, Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. I am Brendan Telfer. We thank you for your company and remind you that we will be back in seven days' time with another edition of The Age Stage. Stay safe.